Hello, everyone. Good to see you all. Welcome to Grace Church Stanford. And um, just want to re re reiterate what Pastor Brandon said in the beginning. If you're, hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And if you're here visiting um, for the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, a special welcome to you. Um, we're going to be looking at God's word. And, but before we do that, I have some news in the life of the church to share with you all. Okay, and so Pastor Brandon has prayed about some of those things, but um, some, some things to mention. First is this afternoon, uh, that we'll have our monthly hymn sing, and it's going to be here at the church building, 4 p.m. Uh, it's going to be a cornucopia of Thanksgiving and Advent and physics. So that's what it's all about, and if you're curious as to what that's all about, please come out. Um, it's also going to be a time of fellowship, and so there will be a, uh, a meal afterwards, a dinner, and so uh, you could bring what you want to bring, but there will also be some food available. Some, uh, it'll be a taco bar. So there you go, 4 p.m. here at the church building for our monthly hymn sing. Youth group is on this Friday evening, 6.30 here at the church building. And then the next day, December 2nd, as uh, Pastor Brandon prayed, Saturday is the women's dinner. It's the women's Christmas dinner, and it's here at the church building, 6.30, 6.30, okay? Also, just uh, one more th uh, thing about the Christmas holiday season, it's, it's ramping up now, and um, so December 9th is when we ha the church will go out caroling, and we go to Brighton Gardens down here on um, Roxbury Road, so it'll be December 9th, Saturday, um, 3.15 here at the church building. Everyone will meet together and then head over down to Brighton Gardens, and then after that, come back for a fellowship dinner. Okay, so um, if you want to do get involved in caroling and want to do some kind of community service, this is a perfect way to combine both of those things. December 9th, Saturday, here at the church building. And then, yes, just as uh, uh, we heard, um, if, you if you didn't hear and didn't pick up in the prayer that um, Chris and Marina, they had their baby. So Boaz was born, I think, on Tuesday night, and um, Boaz and Marina are doing well. So... Um, Hopefully, they'll, we'll see them soon, and uh, yeah, we'll get to see Boaz as well. Okay, with that, we come to God's Word. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up to the, to the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or of anything that is in the heavens above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day, Sabbath day to keep it holy 
as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or you, your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from, the, out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that your Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy and powerful and living word, and we do pray that it would open up the eyes of our hearts to see you in all your glory and splendor, that we would also be able to understand how magnificent, how marvelous is your word of truth, that we would be able to live. So yes, help us to see you and help us to see the vision you have for our lives through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, well, you know, gratitude is one of those first life lessons that we all learn, right? We learn it as little children. We teach young ones to say please and thank you. And then there comes a point when that window of opportunity of teaching about gratitude, it closes. Okay? It's much harder to teach an older person how to have the attitude of gratitude, right? And yet, at the same time, adults really should know better. You wish that some would, some would be taught, like even the basic politeness things, like saying thank you, let alone cultivating an attitude of gratitude. Because, let's be honest, the reality is that someone, an adult, we really don't like it when they are unappreciative or ungrateful to you, right? People can be like that. Even Christians can be like that. I think most of us understand and feel when someone is not very grateful to us. But with that, are we aware how we, too, might sometimes be ungrateful? And this is where I recognize we could get, it could get a bit touchy, okay? I'm not trying to say you're ungrateful. <laughs> but how can we make sure that ingratitude is not in us? If I could try to put it more positively, what if, um, first of all, we gave all of ourselves the benefit of the doubt and said that none of us are ingrates, you know, people who always find something wrong with everything, right? From there, would we then be open to asking the question, how can I be more grateful? Can that question be asked without sounding like I'm trying to insinuate maybe you're not that grateful, right? See, gratitude is one of those things that you just, it can't be forced upon us without perhaps risking offense. Especially if you don't think like you need to be more grateful. Maybe you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. 
right? No fights, no stress, real appreciation for the good things. Praise God for that if that's the, your Thanksgiving experience. But what if you didn't have a great Thanksgiving? Could gratitude be redeemed? Is it worth trying to be more grateful even when you don't feel like you think you have any reason to be grateful? Maybe if I could put it even more positively, could we be a little bit open-minded to be pushed in the area of gratitude? Because what if God actually wanted you to experience his goodness, contentment, and some joy more? Might you be willing to trust what God has to say? And so with that, I humbly put the question to us, how can we be more grateful? Okay. And I've got two points for us. We want to first trust God's commandments, like the one that we'll be focused on, which is do not covet. It's indirectly dealing with the attitude. And then secondly, we want to acknowledge God and his character of providence more, which gives us very specific reasons to be more grateful. Okay. So with that, um, I've, let me try to explain our passage and set the stage for us by giving you some context, because that's really going to be important for us. What God wants for his people is he wants them to have this vision of what the promised life could look like. It's about to be realized for them. And I'll explain what all that means, but two things to point out. We need to be aware of who God is talking to and how he wanted them to live. Okay? So who was God talking to when he addressed um, Israel in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5? Well, Israel has just been wandering the wilderness for 40 years, and they're at the foot of the promised land, about to enter into the promised land, right? And what happened to the Israelites that were freed from slavery in Egypt? Well, they actually all died during the 40-year wandering leaving the children, this next generation. Okay, that's who um, Moses is addressing. And this new generation, they needed to hear about how they got there, why they were there. They needed to appreciate this momentous occasion about them stepping in to the promised land. But notice what was striking about this moment. What did Moses say in verse 3? Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. What's striking about that? Well, as this generation that was being addressed, they weren't in Egypt. But the Lord is speaking to them as if they were. The Lord is trying to make it very clear that it wasn't with their fathers, but with the children who the Lord spoke face to face with, right? Not that actual generation that came out of slavery in Egypt, in Egypt, the fathers, but with this generation, the children. You know, this is one of those instances when someone would be quick to say, ha, ah, here's an inconsistency in the Bible. And if someone is even skeptical about the Bible, they might say, this is an example of God lying to us, and that is why we can't trust God. Now do we see why this is so striking? If the Lord is not lying, what is he saying here? See, the Lord's trying to make it very clear, as clear as possible, how committed he was to this generation, even though they weren't the ones who were the freed slaves, but they were the children of the freed slaves. 
And the Lord, would, could, he could say this because the covenant promises, they were all about, um, for, they were for the generations. And then it was passed on to every generation subsequent. If you wanted to know God, you needed to know God's promises and his word. This was for them, for all of, his, all of the generations, for the freed ones and their children, and for all subsequent generations afterwards, who would believe and who would come to believe. Hear God's word and believe it. And so God is speaking to the second generation, this new generation, and he's giving Israel a do-over. Okay? Let's try this again. He's giving them the law. That's what Deuteronomy means. It's a second giving of the law, a second law. And God's law always included God's story and his promises. It's for this next generation to hear and to embrace as they enter into the land of promise. And we're going to see what that looks like more. But that's who God is speaking to, okay? Secondly, what did God say to the people so that they could be prepared and blessed to live in this land? God gave Moses the law, particularly the Ten Commandments. And we might be aware of the Ten Commandments. And for some of us, they might feel like rules and burdens. They make us feel guilty, and we don't like to think about the Ten Commandments. But we all need to make a paradigm shift in our minds and even in our hearts that this word, these commandments, are actually liberating and powerful for us. For example, what did God do first? Did he free the people from slavery in Egypt, or did he give the commandments to them and say, obey these words, and then I will let you go free? First, he gave the people freedom from slavery in Egypt, and then he said, here is the way to live the blessed life. He showed them grace before he called for obedience and conformity. And not just that, this next generation, they find themselves at the foot of the prom promised land. How did they get there? Why did they deserve to be in this land? Again, it wasn't because they obeyed the commandments, but it was because of God's promises to them. It was his grace and kindness. And then he would say, here are the Ten Commandments for you to live by. Again, we're going to see this in a moment. But these commandments are good. And they're good for God's people. And just on the commandments, um, we're going to be focused on this last one. And let me mention something about the commandments. The, first, the commandments, maybe we know this, that they're divided in two halves. The first half of the commandments, one to four, is like love God. Second half of the commandments, five to ten, love neighbor. The first half, it's summarized. Actually, the whole, all of the commandments are summarized by the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods. You shall worship no other gods. That's about loving God and him alone, right? But this last commandment, it's a summary of the second half of the commandments, how we love neighbor. And that's what we're going to be focused on, this second half of the commandments. And we're going to try to work out what does coveting have to do with gratitude, right? That's what this is about. What does coveting have to do with gra gratitude? Okay, so on to the commandment, Deuteronomy 5.21. Look at this, look at 5.21, the commandment. And you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his, onky, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay, the, the commandment is do not covet. What does it mean to covet? The Oxford Dictionary defines coveting as yearning or possessing to have something, right? And what's wrong with that, we think? 
Another dictionary definition from the Merriam-Webster, it has this entry. Coveting is to desire that which belongs to another inordinately or culpably. What does that mean? It means you want something too much or you want something that you shouldn't have. And that gets to the biblical principle of the commandment. Most basically and simply, it's don't want something that doesn't belong to you. Do not covet. Okay? And the example that we get, the first example, is the spouse. It's very good to have a spouse. You just can't have another person's spouse, right? That's pretty straightforward. No struggle, no problem there. But do we see how this command, it makes good sense? See, this may not be your struggle, but it's what the heart is like. If coveting is not guarded against, what could happen? It's called adultery. Right? It's normalized in our culture because of its prevalence, but we have to recognize how adultery, it destabilizes cultures, societies, families, relationships are ruined, people are impacted. And God's vision of life for his community has no place for adultery. And the way he tries to prevent it is not just by the direct command against the act, but also by addressing the heart. Before the actual act, it starts with the desire to want someone who doesn't belong to you. See, this is how it also works with possessions. You don't want what belongs to another. And if you really, really wanted it so badly, you would be tempted to want to take it. And we call that theft. Theft is bad, again. It undermines the principle of private property. That destabilizes communities. You would always be feeling like, I have to watch everything because someone's going to take my stuff. You're feeling afraid. You're going to be robbed. And that's not the vision of life that God had for his people. See, God regulates both the attitudes and the actions. Do not steal, but also do not covet. Now, we might think, okay, we're in the clear. We don't steal. But might we covet? See, this command, it really gets to the heart. That's why it's the last one. It's a summary attitude behind all the others. If you want to love your neighbor well, do not covet. And for our purposes, again, do you want to be grateful? Do not covet. Let's see why. Let's see what this looks like a little bit more. What does coveting have to do with gratitude? It's like now, there may not be a direct link, but I hope that we're starting to see that there are real connections. Like, if you are not aware of your heart's tendencies and what your desires are, what you have opened yourself up to is discontentment, the possibility to be discontent. There is a subtle slide. That's why it's so hard to notice. You eye your neighbor's house. Then you give yourself permission to compare your house to their house. Then you start to covet the idea of your neighbor's house. You may not want their house, but you want an idea, something like their house, where you express your dissatisfaction with your own house. And then that just leads to a whole host of other ways that things just don't go good. All right? I mean, it's hard to be grateful when you're coveting and you're discontent and wanting something other than what you have been given. 
You're not appreciating what you have, but appreciating what others have. But it's worse than that because the heart of the matter is that you're not appreciating what you have and you are unhappy about what you have. This is what it could look like for us today, okay? Because we don't have oxes and donkeys. I mean, maybe some of us might, <laughs> but not, most of us don't, right? This is what it could look like. Listen to the examples given by one author about coveting. It's all about comparing our, and how it expresses discontent. See, first, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, right? What does that look like today? Wow, she sure is beautiful. Why couldn't my wife age like that? I'm not the author, okay? I didn't write that. <laughs> he continues. Another example. Look at her husband. He's always so friendly, good with the kids, helps around the house, fixes things, not breaks them. And who am I stuck with? My wife didn't write that either, okay? She's not the author. You shall not desire your neighbor's house. What, do you, what could that look like? I'm so tired of living in this neighborhood. We live in a dump. How nice would it be to live like in one of those houses on HGTV? Think. You shall not desire your neighbor's male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey. What could that look like? Man, my car is a piece of junk. Why am I stuck with this loser job? I wish my kids were more like their kids. Why do I have such lame parents? You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. I wish I could be smart like him. Why couldn't I get a normal family? Why is everything in my life hard and easy for everyone else? Just imagine if we didn't have these kinds of thoughts. What that would be like for our hearts, right? What do they say about comparison? The thief of joy. I'm, yeah, it's the thief of joy, right? And comparison is the thief of gratitude as well. And com comparing and coveting, they're like maternal twins, identical twins. Coveting is the thief of joy and of gratitude towards God. You know, this commandment, do not covet, it's like the canary in the coal mine. This is so significant for us because coveting would happen at the level of our heart's desires. And it's really hard to notice. It's like a poisonous gas that you don't smell. And you can't detect it until it's too late. And so obeying this command would really be a lifesaver. If we could fight against covetous desires and thoughts, we would be far more content, so much happier, able to see what we have with far more appreciation. Just imagine you have absolutely no feelings of any lack, not because you had everything, but because you didn't covet it and you were already satisfied. Now, before we go on, the big question that you might have after hearing all of this, because it kind of sounds heavy, is, well, then, can I have any desires, right? What can I desire? Well, let me just say that we all have desires, and we all must have desires. That's how God made us. They can be good. And so what is the commandment again? It's not do not have any desires. It's do not covet. 
right? Do not dysregulate your desires, but control them properly to the good end that the Lord has for you and the community that you belong to. See, we need to trust this word that God has authority over our heart's desires. Yes, even over what we desire. We need to trust that he can command what is good for us, and we need to trust that he actually gives us what we need. And see, that brings us to our second point. It's about knowing why we can really be thankful. We don't have to covet because God has provided for us all that we need. So do not covet, and then second point, do acknowledge God. Okay? Did God's people Israel, did they have reason to be grateful? We're going to see why God gave the law again to Israel in Deuteronomy by seeing what it was like the first time around when God gave the law, right? When he first brought the people out of slavery in Egypt. Like this is, we're looking at God's big story of his people. We need to see what it was like for them and then we can see what it's like for us. I'm just going to point out Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16. This is the first time that the Exodus actually happened with the father's generation. Exodus 16 verse 2 says this. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Right? The, the Lord rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. They haven't even made it to Mount Sinai, where God would give Moses the law and the commandments. So it wasn't the commandments that were the problem. They're complaining here. God has shown them grace. He's freed them. He hasn't burdened them, I'm, I'm using that in quotes, with commandments, and yet they are, the people are dissatisfied with God already. I want something other than God and what he gives me. What does that sound like? Right? And notice, I just want us to notice they, the people didn't say, I just want to go back to Egypt where it was easier and simpler. Let me paraphrase what they said, Exodus 16. If only God's hand left us alone so we could eat meat and bread in Egypt and die with full bellies, rather than the Lord's hand dragging us out into the wilderness to kill us with hunger. Right? That was the complaint, the grumbling. They coveted life back in Egypt more than wanting to move forward with God. And here's what's so disheartening to see. Israel, they recognized God's power. They knew that God was sovereign. His hand was powerful to lead the people, but their hungers, it triggered their base fears. Was he powerful enough to provide bread? Was he powerful enough to give life-giving water? Yes. But will he? Able, yes. Good and caring, I'm not convinced of God yet. Israel would rather be slaves living under Pharaoh, the hard taskmaster. It's as if the people, they were physically free from slavery, but there was still something going on where they were spiritually stuck, spiritually oppressed, didn't allow them to see God truly and all that he had provided for that was the first generation, but this next generation in Deuteronomy chapter 5, they have another chance. This time, God would be so kind to feed them. They had lived off of God and his provisions 
where he would provide daily bread, living water. He would protect them against enemies. All these miraculous works that God would do for this next generation that grew up in the 40-year wilderness wandering. He's gotten to them to this point where they're about to step into the promised land. And the Lord would remind the people of who they were. Who were they? People with a real identity, born out of a real history and experience, and therefore they had a future with all of God's promises. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 2. This is how he addresses them again. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us. You are all, all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at, at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Slavery. Right? All the promises that God made to his people, starting with Abraham. The redemption of his people from slavery. The daily provisions of bread and drink for survival. Leading them through the wilderness. They were a people who were provided for by God. Stepping into a land provided for by God. Given commandments on how to live rightly and live the blessed life provided for by God. Israel's story is one of grace and provision and kindness shown to God's people. Did Israel have reason to be thankful to God? Yes, but did they show it? Let me spoil it for us, right? <laughs> it's more about the same. Their story, Israel's story would be more about the same. Israel would continue to grumble, continue to disobey, idolatry worsened. Israel would fail to trust God with their survival, their well-being, and their future. That was their story. What's your story with God? Would we be grateful to God? Do we have reason to be grateful to God? Here we are, another generation. A new generation would be presented with the promises of God. Let's get right to us, right? Folks, the foot of the promised land for us today, God speaking to us, and where we're at, the foot of the promised land for us today is the foot of the cross, right? You believe in what Jesus did for you, the price that he paid for your ransom, for him defeating the devil, freeing you from bondage to sin and death. Believe in Jesus that he rose from the dead so that you too would have resurrection, eternal life. We are on the way to the promised land. But will Jesus get us there? Is he good? Do you believe that he can provide for you? Do you believe that he has provided for you? Do you believe that you've been freed from the power of the devil? He'd try to keep us out. Try to sow doubt. But like Israel, we're here reminded, hearing God's voice of this new and good way to live. Verse 6 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That is our story. That is our identity. We don't live with a harsh taskmaster, but with a gentle and lowly shepherd who invites us to live the blessed life with him. He has graciously provided for us, God has. 
Recall how Paul puts it later, much later in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And to help us fix our minds and our faith on the goodness of the Lord and his, the ways that he provides for us, we have a, a doctrine that summarizes God and his character and his ways. It's called uh, the doctrine of providence. And our Westminster Larger Catechism would express, in summary, what Israel and what all of us have experienced. Okay? Larger, Larger Catechism question 18 asks, what are the works of providence? The answer, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all of his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. That's a helpful summary for us. God provides for his people in the most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of his creatures. He orders their lives and all of their actions by providing for them what they need so that they could live, survive, and bring glory to God. That means everything that we have is from him, so we would acknowledge that by giving him thanks. John Piper, he quotes Charles Spurgeon, who preached about God's divine providence. Everything in the world is ordained by God because he is taking this world to his good and glorious end. That's what providence is really about. God's purposes and God making his purposes happen. That's the frame of our lives that we all need to remember, isn't it? God is doing something in the world with you and me in this community and he's taking us somewhere, and it'll be forever. Spurgeon would go on and say this. You will say this morning, our minister is a fatalist. Your minister is no such thing. Some will say, ah, he believes in fate. He does not believe in fate at all. What is fate? Fate is this. Whatever is, must be. But there is a difference between that and providence. Providence says whatever God ordains must be. But the wisdom of God never ordains anything without a purpose. Everything in the world is working for some one great end. Fate does not say that. Fate simply says that the thing must be. Providence says God moves the wheels along and there we are. God provides for us. He moves us along his purposes. Do we acknowledge his good hand in our lives? Are we a part of those purposes, God's story? Let me summarize. Point of mentioning providence is that if we believe that God is sovereign, that he is good, that he is faithful to his promises, that he is powerful to fulfill all that, that he's able to provide for his people, then that means God has provided for all of us what we need. And all that we have was God's decisions to give, and all that we don't have was God's decision to not give. And all of it will get us to the promised land. And for everything then, we have reason to acknowledge God and give thanks to him. Do acknowledge God. Let me end with some application. Maybe you didn't know about this last commandment, you didn't understand what that word meant, do not covet. Maybe you didn't realize what your hearts were like. Maybe you didn't know about the providence of God. 
And maybe you didn't know that God's writing a grand story with his promises. Promises good news for our lives, embodied in his son, the Lord Jesus. Receive him and you will be freed from spiritual bondage. The kind that leads to discontentment and ingratitude. But more than that, it starts with being freed from bondage so that you live with a new master, a new shepherd. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then just as you had to confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe with your heart that he is God, that he is the Savior, so would you express your thanksgiving out loud. It's easy to say, yeah, I'm grateful, but we want to be able to say it. We're going to have a moment during our Lord's Supper when we can actually say it, when we'll have times of prayer together. You know what? We're the new covenant generation. That's why Paul can write so easily another bold command where he tells us, be thankful. Where is that? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, right? I hope that at this point, having heard what we've heard, that we're not offended by Paul's directness. Verse 16 says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Giving thanks is God's will for your life. Recognizing his providential, gracious hand in giving you everything that you need. I love this one line by the pastor. He points out, do you know what that word all in give thanks in all circumstances means in the Greek? It means all. <laughs> right? Good circumstances, give thanks. Neutral circumstances, give thanks. Bad circumstances, we still have reason to give thanks. We're people, we're not defined by, by our lack, but by our blessing. Not what we don't have, but, but by, by what we've been given. Starting with our salvation from God and our freedom in Christ, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to meet God face to face, and he's providing for us all that we need for that journey to get there. What we don't have, we don't covet. What we do have, we acknowledge as from God by giving thanks and praise because everything comes from the hand of our good and gracious God. With that, let us pray. In some respects, all of us are spiritual children learning how to say please and thank you. I pray that all of us would indeed recognize with deep conviction why as believers, if we are, that we have so many reasons to give thanks to you, O oh God, for what you've done for us in the Lord Jesus, saving us to a new life, a new path, a new destiny, a new eternity. And so give us grateful hearts, God. Show us the wisdom of not coveting. Help us to see what that could look like for each one of us in our lives. And allow us to experience the grace and the freedom and the contentment and the joy and the gratitude. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen.